Acts chapter 2, verse 22 says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. You may be seated. Father, as we contemplate the scriptures today that reveal to us the depth of your love, your love is so great that you would send your own son to die in our place. As we consider this today, bring us to a place of repentance. Bring us to a place of saving faith. Bring us to a place of recognizing your greatness and your goodness. We love you and we pray that you would bless us and strengthen us as we endeavor to examine your word here today on Good Friday. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I want to try and answer the singular question, why did Jesus have to die? There is, of course, the human historical explanation for why Jesus was put to death. The religious leaders plotted against him. His friend Judas betrayed him. The governing authorities condemned him, and then the Roman soldiers crucified him. There is, of course, the human historical explanation for why Jesus was put to death. But there is also a, a divine biblical explanation. There's a divine biblical explanation for why Jesus was put to death. And in Peter's sermon here in our text, it says that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. That yes, it is true that he was crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Yes, there is a human and historical reason that Jesus was put to death. But there is also a biblical explanation in that Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Peter is saying in his sermon that God knew about the crucifixion of Jesus before it happened. He's saying that God not only knew about the crucifixion of Jesus before it happened, but that God allowed it to happen. In fact, in this text, God knew that it was going to happen. God allowed it to happen, and in fact, God purposed it to happen. He says Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan of God. So why did Jesus have to die? Christ said, I want you to know that Good Friday was God's idea. Jesus died, number one, to remove our guilt and shame. Number two, to reveal God's love. And number three, to restore our peace with God. Restore us to peace with God. This is how we're going to look at this. First, Jesus died to remove our guilt and shame. If we want to be people who understand the God-centered biblical explanation for why Jesus was put to death, we need to go back to the very beginning of the biblical story. God created the heavens and the earth and he created humanity and he commanded humanity according to his will. His creation was good. His will for humanity was good. And through him allowing humanity to be part of what he was doing in all of creation, he was revealing to them how much he loved them. 
It says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, it says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. What did Adam do? Did he just obediently tend the garden of God? No. Adam and Eve together were tempted. They were tempted to disobey God's command, and they gave in to that temptation by taking the fruit of the forbidden tree and eating of it. And I want you to see this. What were the immediate first effects of that sin that they fell into? It says in Genesis 3:7, then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They tried to cover up the shame they felt on their own and they tried to hide because they knew the guilt from their disobedience had fractured their relationship with God. Why did they feel ashamed and why did they hide? Again, in Genesis chapter 3, it tells us that Satan tempted Adam and Eve to disobey God. It says in verse 1, he said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. They knew the stakes. They knew the command of God and they knew the consequences of their actions and still they disobeyed and sinned. And if it was you and I standing in the garden that day, given the same opportunity, we would have sinned too. We've proven that time and time again in our lives. And if it was you and I who had sinned in the garden against God, disobeying his command, we too would have felt the same shame and we would have tried to cover it up on our own. We still do. And if it was you and I in the garden who had sinned against God by disobeying his command, we would have felt the same guilt and we would have run and tried to hide from him too. And we still do. Humanity's fall into sin and humanity's fall from relationship with God had happened. And the scriptures say this is true of every human being born ever since. The reality is there is a chasm between humanity and God. And try as we may, we cannot bridge that gap. Not in our own strength. But God. Gracious as he is, he comes to Adam and Eve in the garden. He pursues them. He calls out to them. And he also judges them. Not until he judges Satan who tempted them to sin. At that very moment, the moment that sin entered into human history, we see immediately after, God denounces the work of Satan. 
And he makes a promise to humanity that this relational brokenness will not reign forever. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, God makes a promise that there will one day be a rescuer born of a woman who will destroy the work of the destroyer. That there is going to one day come a man who will right all wrongs and who will make all things new. That's the immediate promise of God in the wake of the destruction of rebellion and sin in humanity. And it was not until the first Good Friday when Jesus was delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that God's promise to remove our guilt and remove our shame was fully revealed to the world. In the midst of the rebellious fall, in the good garden, in God's good creation, God made a promise of redemption. And I don't want you to miss this. Later in chapter 3 of Genesis, in verse 21, it says, And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Don't miss this. Sin enters, something dies. Sin enters and something dies. Blood was shed to cover their shame. Adam and Eve sin and they are ashamed of their nakedness. And in the awareness of their guilt, they then try and hide from God. But God speaks. God comes to them and humanity then hears the first echoes of the Savior who would one day come. And God makes clothes to cover their guilt and shame. See, something died and had its blood shed so that their shame could be covered in the garden, so that they could come out of hiding and walk freely again. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And this substitution model that we see very early in the book of Genesis, continues all the way through the Old Testament as sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice is made and blood is shed for the forgiveness of sins. But I want you to know that all of those sacrifices were merely but a foreshadowing of Good Friday and the way that God would ultimately provide for our salvation, for the way that God provided for the removal of our guilt and shame through the death of his son Jesus in our place. They all looked forward to the one who was to come. So why did Jesus have to die? Number one, to remove our guilt and shame. And number two, to reveal God's love. Romans chapter 5, verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. And verse 8 says, But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Do you see that? Jesus died to reveal God's love to us. God shows his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Good Friday was God's idea. Because he chose to save us. It was a necessity that Jesus die on the cross because God is holy and just. And in his holy, holiness and his justice, sin must be punished. 
God created earth and humanity. He created it perfect. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God's commands, it required judgment. Just think about it. Imagine a judge, she or he, in their courtroom. Imagine a man who's confessed to heinous crimes. He's confessed. And he comes in on the day of his sentencing and he walks into the courtroom and he says to the judge, yes, I am guilty. And I know today is my sentencing hearing, but I'm asking that you'd forgive me of my heinous crimes. The judge cannot just pardon him or the judge would be fired. The job of the judge is to uphold the law. Now realize the commands of God need to be upheld. A judge who pardons lawbreakers with no punishment for their crime is not a righteous or just judge. That is, in fact, injustice. Those who break the commands of the cosmic judge, their sin must be punished. Their rebellion must be punished. And if we understand ourselves rightly in the sight of an infinitely holy God, we all know we deserve to be judged according to our own sin. Romans chapter 3, verse 22 says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We are all in the same position as Adam and Eve. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all sinned, and the only way for us to be saved is through the work of Good Friday. It comes to us as a gift that we receive by faith. When the scriptures talk about being justified, it means to be declared righteous in a legal sense. It's like the final judgment. When every human being will stand before God at the end of the age, that Final judgment gets brought into the very present moment. And when somebody puts their faith in Jesus, they are then immediately declared right with God. And there's an emphasis here on on justification being by grace as a gift. See, you can stand before God in your sin, or you can stand before God having received Christ's righteousness on your behalf, having received his death in your place. It's up to you. But this tells us that all of us are in trouble and in need of salvation. And that Christ is the only way for us to be saved. There's an emphasis on it being by grace as a gift. It says it comes to us through Christ who was put forward as a propitiation. What is a propitiation? It is a sacrifice that removes wrath. Christ is the propitiation for our sins. He is the sacrifice that is made that removes the wrath of God from us. That means on the cross, Jesus stepped into our place and absorbed the wrath of God that was meant for us in our sin. That means on the cross, Jesus, who was perfectly innocent of all charges and perfectly sinless before God, that he took upon himself the judgment that we deserved. God put Jesus forward in our place and for our sins because God, in his infinite love, decided to save us. It was all God's plan. Good Friday was God's idea. So why the cross? Why did Jesus have to die? 
Well, the cross was part of God's plan because it was the only way that he could save human beings from their sins. John Owen said, there is no death of sin without the death of Christ. Sin is a problem because God is holy. God is so perfectly holy that it is impossible for any sinful human being to stand before him. It is an utter impossibility to stand in his presence, in our sinfulness, on our own strength. The cross was a necessity. It was a necessary part of God's plan because God wanted to save us, but our sin needed to be punished, right? How can God deal with our sin without sacrificing either his love or his holiness? See, God cannot overlook sin. That might sound loving, but it would not be just and it would not be holy. Our sin would not be paid for. But God didn't simply condemn us to die in our sin either, which would have been just and holy, but it would not have fully displayed his glorious love. And we see the tension of this. God is a just judge. There needs to be payment and punishment for sin. How is it then that he plans to save us? Well, Good Friday was God's idea. That's why the cross is the place where the love and the justice of God and his holiness, it's where his love and justice meet. A guy named Philip Ryken who wrote a little book called Salvation by Crucifixion that's really helpful. In that book, he says the place where God's love and God's holiness embrace is at the cross. God the Father sent his son, his only son, to suffer and die for our sins. His life for our life, his pain for our gain. Here is the love of God. And here also in the cross is the holiness of God. The death penalty is executed against sin. The sin of God's people are paid in full. Good Friday was God's idea and Jesus had to die because God was preserving both his love and his holiness and justice. Again, Emil Bruner said the cross is the event in which God makes known his holiness and his love simultaneously in one event, in an absolute manner. The cross is the only place where the loving, forgiving, merciful God is revealed in such a way that we perceive that his holiness and his love are equally infinite. It's not as if God is at odds with himself, as though his love and his holiness are somehow competing No, the cross is the event where the fullness of his love and the fullness of his holy justice are simultaneously revealed for the world to see. In order for God to save us, it was an absolute necessity that the perfect one, Jesus Christ, die in our place. See, God has not moved from wrath to love because of the death of Jesus. God has moved by love to satisfy the wrath of God against us by removing our guilt and our shame through the blood of Jesus. He's not moved from wrath to love. He's moved by love to satisfy wrath. Good Friday was God's idea. Romans 5 again says, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died 
For the ungodly, for one will scarcely die. For a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The cross is the ultimate display of God's love. Because Christ died for us while we were still sinners. This is the revealing of the love of God. Jesus died to remove our guilt and shame. Jesus died to reveal God's love. And third, Jesus died to restore us to peace with God. To restore us to peace with God. While we were still enemies, God sent Jesus to die for us, to remove our guilt, to remove our shame, to reveal his love, and to make a way for enemies like us to have peace with God. Every human being is a son of Adam or a daughter of Eve. Every human being is born, in effect, at war with God. And if you keep reading the passage in Romans 5 that we've been looking at, it says apart from Christ, we are enemies with God. In chapter 5 of Romans, in verse 10, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That reconciliation is the restoration of our peace with God. Without the cross and the death of Jesus, there could never be peace. That's the testimony of God's word, that apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. Apart from the cross of Christ, the scriptures say that you are an enemy of God, that you stand in your own guilt, that you are cloaked in your own shame, that you are unaware of the depth of God's love, and that your relationship with God is broken and unreconciled. You yourself know that you are in need of saving. You know that you do not have a perfect record before God. And this is the good news of Good Friday, that God Almighty has made a way for us to have peace with him. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah the prophet said this, which you heard read already this morning in verse 2 of Isaiah 53, for he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. Upon him, the one hanging in judgment, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. The punishment that brought us peace was laid upon Jesus on the first Good Friday. On the cross, God poured out all 
of the judgment for your sin. He poured it all out on Jesus. On the cross, God treated Jesus as though he had committed every sin of every person who would ever come to faith in him. All of the wrath of God for sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross, and it killed him. This is the good news of Good Friday. Through the cross, through the blood of Christ, which, which is speaking to his death, through his blood, we can have peace with God. So why did Jesus have to die? Because in God's love, he chose to save us. Because in God's holiness and justice, there needed to be judgment for sin. And because we were at war with God and needed a way for have, for, to have peace with God, Jesus needed to die. He becomes the judgment for our sin, and he grants us peace. It was the definite plan and foreknowledge of God that Jesus would be crucified and punished for your sin and for mine, and that through his atoning work on the cross, we could have peace with God restored. So again, Good Friday is God's idea. Jesus gave his life in our place in obedience to God so that the love of God could be made known and so that we could live lives that glorify him. But I want you to hear the words of John Stott as we consider what this means. He said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. Before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. The restoration of your peace with God cost Jesus his life. And the restoration of your peace with God is available to you if you will repent of your sin and trust in Christ for salvation. I'm going to lead us in a response of prayer. And I'm going to invite you to pray with me where it says all on the screen. After that response of prayer, I'm going to leave a moment of silence for us to contemplate the work of Christ on the cross. To contemplate the reality that our salvation cost Jesus his life. That our sin and brokenness and our rebellion needed to be atoned for and that it's been freely provided through the price that Jesus paid. So we're going to have a time of responsive prayer, a time of silence, and then I'm going to close this gathering with a prayer. And I'm going to invite you, though, if you'd like to stay, to stay in a posture of silence here. If you'd like to go as soon as we're done praying, please, go ahead. But please leave this room in silence. And if you can, have your conversations outside the building as opposed to outside those doors. For many, they would like to be able to stay and pray. Let's pray together. Merciful God, we meet each other today at the foot of the cross as inhabitants of one world and members of one greater family. We wait with each other as those who inflict wounds on one another. Be merciful to us. As those who deny justice to others, as those who put our trust in power, as those who are greedy, 
as those who put others on trial, as those who refuse to receive, as those who are afraid of the world's torments. O crucified Jesus, ruler of every heart, in you are the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In you dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. Jesus, Lamb of God. Jesus, bearer of our sins. Jesus, redeemer of the world. Almighty God, look with mercy on your family for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed, to be given over to the hands of sinners, and to suffer death on the cross. Through him who now lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.